So we're in a series, as Dave said, uh, called Spirit Lead Me. And it's about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a mystical force. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God himself. But the Holy Spirit is God with us. God in us, God working through us as he leads us. So this whole series is trying to understand what does it mean to know the presence of the Holy Spirit, to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit, and to do the Spirit's works as the Holy Spirit empowers us uh, and gives us the gifts that we need to serve him well. So like my hope and prayers, we've been talking and praying over the last few months leading up to today, leading up to this, uh, this series, is that each person would have a growing sense of what it means to know the Spirit's presence and to be led by the Holy Spirit in each area of life. That's the hope and the prayer. I'm going to be taking you through a little mini-series on spiritual gifts. Uh, we've started already. Last week we looked at the foundation of true spirituality. Uh, Paul's writing to a context, to a world where everyone is spiritual, where everyone participates in, in worship activity, where, where people go to the temple and they work themselves into a state and they get in a trance and they utter uh, ecstatic utterances. They perform all sorts of uh, supernatural spiritual acts. Everyone is spiritual. Everyone has the outward workings of spirituality. But Paul says true spirituality is not participating in the activities, but true spirituality is uh, experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit and is living out the conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord, even in the face of extreme opposition. When the chips are down, you say, my allegiance is to Jesus. And the only way I can live that out is if I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we see this pattern the whole way through the scriptures. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon people in the Old Testament, is with them in the New Testament, and then they're able to live out the conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even Stephen being stoned in Acts chapter 7 is living out the conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's true spirituality, to be led by the Spirit. We saw as well that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to each believer. Everyone's got at least one. No one has the full set. Australia's been looking for that middle order all-rounder for decades. does not exist. There is no one who can bowl seam and spin, open the batting, bat in the middle order, close out in innings, in all forms of cricket, and is a good fielder. Doesn't exist, right? No one has all the gifts, but everyone's got at least, at least one, probably more. And we saw that the gifts are, are gifts, not rewards, not accolades, not achievements, not favors, but gifts. Our kind God gives them to us, and they are to be received with joy and used to bless others. We also saw last week from 1 Corinthians 12 that not only are they gifts, but they're services. And we looked at the idea of being a waiter. Like, you're like the waiter at a romantic dinner. You're practically invisible, but very, very helpful. It's not, you're not the main attraction. You're not the star of the show. You're there to serve other people. Uh, so if you kind of feel overlooked with your, as you use your gifts, great. They're services. You're, you're a deacon. You're serving. You're a waiter. And also that the gifts, thirdly, Paul says, they're workings. And that word working is literally the word energy, power. You have supernatural power from God. The gift that you have comes with batteries. It comes with power. It's not a dud. You have supernatural power from God. So that's kind of the ground we covered last week. And I said last week too that uh, with spiritual gifts, you have to discover them, 
develop them and deploy them. Discover them. What gifts has God given me? How can I use them? Right? And you discover them by trying a bunch of things, seeing what makes a difference. You discover them by praying and saying, Lord, would you show me? Would you guide me? Would you lead me? Would you make it clear to me as, as you pray and others pray for you? You discover them by getting feedback from other people. Someone comes to you and says, you know what? Every time I talk to you, I just feel more confident about what God is doing. I think you have the gift of faith. And you're like, huh, you're the third person this week to say that to me. You, know, you discover them through using them, through other people affirming them, and through prayer. And then you have to develop them. You have to hone them and craft them. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gifts that is on you. Get it red hot. Work on it. Invest in it. Develop it. It's so one of my gifts is, is teaching. I'm doing it now, right? But I've invested in that significantly. I've literally got like a thousand books I've been to Bible college on more than one occasion, right? I've developed and invested in using my gifts so that I can maximize them for the sake of the kingdom. And then the last part is you have to deploy them. You have to use them. You have to step out of the awkwardness of what other people are going to think and just have a go and use them. So my prayer is that all of us would know our gifts, would be developing them in community and would be able to would be using them uh, to bless others. Now, spiritual gifts is only part of, the quest, part of the answer to the question, what should I be doing? What ministry should I be doing? Where's my sweet spot? And the acronym that's often used for discovering your sweet spot is the acronym SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E. Now, I've Australianized it, okay? I put an O on the end. So it's SHAPO. You know, when you get fuel, you go to the servo, you buy your fish from the fisho, you buy a ginger beer from the bottle and you discover your gifting from a shapo. Shapo. Let me break it down for you quickly. So S is spiritual gifts. The supernatural power that God has given you, the supernatural abilities God has given you to be used to build up the church. You've got to discover them, develop them, deploy them. We're going to do heaps on that. H is for heart or passion. You know, God cares about everything and everyone, but there's some things that we care about more than others. We've got a heart for refugees or a heart for your 12 kids down the Goldie or a heart for families in our community or a heart for something else, right? What is the thing that your heart beats for, that your heart breaks for, that should inform what you should do? You've got to be passionate about where you serve, right? Maybe it's worship. We heard this morning, like, I've got a cold, but I'm still worshipping because I'm passionate about it. It's part of my shape. A is ability. So ability is the natural talents you have from your DNA and your, you know, like your personality and stuff. Like just the natural talents you have and the skills you've acquired over your lifetime. Maybe you're excellent with Microsoft Excel, right? Maybe you're brilliant with a paintbrush. Maybe you can sing opera. I don't know. What skills do you bring to the table? What are your abilities? Spiritual gifts, heart or passion, ability, peace, personality. So how has God made you? Like, are you a big picture person or attention to detail? Do you like structure and everything being nice and neat and planned? Dave Luthy. Dave is off the chart when it comes to being organized. Or are you more spontaneous and free-flowing? You'll make it up as you go, right? Do you like to work in teams or on your own? What energizes you? What drains you? How do you approach risk and change? That, all that stuff shapes where you should be serving to have your maximum 
um, maximum impact, personality. E is experiences, the things that you have been through that have shaped you. What's happened in your life that's, that's shaped you? So, for example, if you've, you know, if, if you've gone through the extreme tragedy of losing a child decades ago, God, in his goodness and glory and kindness, can redeem that painful situation, and you can use that to minister to others, right? Maybe you've uh, worked overseas in aid and development as a nurse or a project manager or an engineer or a diplomat or something. Who knows? Maybe you've taught primary school for 40 years. Like the things that you've been through shape you and God can use those things to serve others in a unique way. And O is opportunity. What are the things that you're facing, the immediate circumstances, the fork in the road ahead of you? And I reckon when you put all those things together, when you understand how God has gifted you, what your heart breaks for, your natural talent and acquired skills, you know, your personality, the things you've been through in life and the opportunities you're facing, that becomes your sweet spot. And in fact, if you want to find out more about your shape, you can jump on the Brackenridge website under serving. You can actually do the shape test. You can fill it all out, get other people to fill it out for you, and you'll have a pretty good picture of who you are and how God has shaped you. Radio. So we're going to spend all our time the next two weeks going through the spiritual gifts. Now, I don't know what you've been thinking about this, this series and this part of the series about spiritual gifts. You know, maybe uh, they're often called the charismatic gifts. You know, maybe you're a charismaniac and you just like froth on it. You're so excited about it. You're obsessed with it. You, you know, you're here, you brought your friends, right? Or maybe you're a, the opposite end of the spectrum. You're a charisphobe and you've had a negative experience of the spiritual gifts in the past. You know, you've been to some event and you thought, man, God's not in this. This isn't right. This has burned me. Or someone's promised you something through a prophecy or some kind of healing or something's happened in your life and you think, oh, I don't think God works that way anymore. You know? So you've got a negative experience of it. No, I just kind of want to bring us back to the middle and say, don't be obsessed. The writers of the New Testament are not obsessed with spiritual gifts. Right? But neither be afraid of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Let's be open to be led by the Spirit of God. Don't be a charisphobe. Don't be a charismaniac. Be a charismoderate. I just made that up. I thought that was good. I'm going to write that down. Um, now, there's a lot of controversy about the spiritual gifts as well. I remember, I think it was last year, there was two high-profile groups in the States. At the same time, they both had conferences. One conference was about how the spiritual gifts aren't present in the church anymore. They're that was the anti-spiritual gifts conference. A stack of people went to that. At the same time, they had like the pro-spiritual gift conference. Come and experience the power of God like you've never had before. At the same time, big diversity about the spiritual gifts. Some say only some gifts are valid for today. So you might have teaching and encouragement and administration, but you don't have prophecy and uh, apostolic gifting and miracles. That's only in Bible times. Other people say, no, all the gifts are available for today. And then you have to clarify and say, well, what about gifts like being an apostle? Like, can I be an apostle like the apostle Peter or the apostle Paul? That'd be sweet. Is that open or is that, has that come and gone? Which gifts are available? Which ones aren't? All my cards on the table. I think that all the gifts are available for the church today we've just got to clarify and nuance what that means in this part of of God working through history 
We have the, we have the New Testament. We have the Holy Spirit within us. The church is established. The Gentiles are being converted, have been converted. The church is spread around the globe. So what, is, what, what do the gifts look like at this time, in this place, in this context? So I think all the gifts are available. They just need to be nuanced and explained. And that's kind of our task over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be digging into that. So how do you categorize them? How do you categorize them? Often the categories that are used are miraculous, non-miraculous. I have a problem with that. Because if you say, well, miracles is miraculous, but faith or hospitality or intercessory prayer, those things aren't miraculous. But if they're all spiritual gifts, aren't they all supernatural in origin? They come from the Holy Spirit. Aren't they all God's power working through us? So I think miraculous, non-miraculous is a, is a bad description. They're all miraculous because it's all the Spirit of God working in us. I think it's better to describe them if you want to categorize them as spectacular, non-spectacular. Certainly miracles, and prophecy, and healing, and exorcisms, like they're, they're spectacular. They draw a crowd. Channel 7 comes around and wants to find out what's going on. Whereas faith, administration, hospitality, help, intercessory prayer, kind of less spectacular but no less powerful. So I think some of those descriptions, some of those categories are kind of false dichotomies. They look different, different manifestations of the Spirit, but they're all supernatural power. We also see that the gifts, um, kind of sometimes the gifts are people. It says in Ephesians 4 that God gave gifts to the church. He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers, you know, the fivefold ministry. Sometimes the gifts are word gifts like prophecy and tongues and teaching and a message of wisdom and a message of knowledge. They're spoken gifts, sometimes called utterance gifts, you know. Other times the gifts are service gifts like administration and help, hospitality, mercy, practical. So I think that's probably the best way to make sense of them is to say all the gifts are miraculous. Some are more spectacular than others. Sometimes the gifts of people, sometimes they're spoken, sometimes they're a service. I also think that the New Testament is not exhaustive. When you, if you Google list of spiritual gifts, you will not find the same number in any, in any list. They're representative. There's somewhere between 12 and 25 in Scripture, depending on what you count and don't count. I don't think that's exhaustive. I think they're indicative of how the Spirit works through His people. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the ones that are, are in Scripture clearly, that Paul says, a gift of this, a gift of that, a gift of this, a gift of that. We're going to go through and unpack them. As we do, I'm going to ask you, so the first one we're going to do is message of wisdom in just a sec. I'm going to ask you, if you think you've got that gift, right? You don't have to be 100% sure. It isn't like your passport where you can say, yep, that's my passport, that's my number, that's my picture. Guaranteed, that's me unless you're an Optus customer maybe, or Medibank private, but apart from that, everyone else is good. Right, but if you think you might have that gift, if you think, I think I've got the message of wisdom, I think God's given me that gift, what I want to get you to do is when we get there, when I explain it, at the end, I'll ask you just to put your hand up so that other people can say, I think I might have that gift too. Maybe we can learn from each other. Maybe we can sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. All right, we're going to make our way through the list. You won't have to say anything, I'm not going to get you up on stage and get you to perform a miracle. Nothing like that. Um, that would be pretty good, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next week. We'll do that next week. Plan for that next week. 
But just so you can say, I think this is how God has gifted me so we can learn from each other as we discover, develop, and deploy them. All right, here we go. Message of wisdom. This is the first gift listed. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, sorry, chapter 12, verse 8. Paul says, finishing on from last week, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. The message of wisdom. The message of wisdom is insight into the mysterious workings of God in Christ. So general wisdom, you know, Bible says we should pray for wisdom. We've got the whole book of Proverbs about wisdom. General wisdom is knowing what to do where the moral code doesn't apply, right? So the moral code is obvious. Should I steal this or not? Should I kill this person or not? Should I commit adultery or not? No, no, Ten Commandments, pretty clear that's wrong no matter what. But wisdom is about saying this is not a black and white issue. This is not a right and wrong issue. This is a what's best issue. That's wisdom. So all of us should pray for wisdom. We should, James tells us to ask God for wisdom. We should all be growing in wisdom. But that's not the gift of wisdom because everyone should have some wisdom and be growing in wisdom. But the gift of wisdom is when the Holy Spirit gives certain people special ability, special insight into what God is doing. Sometimes it works like this. You'd be at a meeting, say it's a leaders meeting or something or a small group meeting, a church council meeting, and you'll be there saying, what is God doing? Like, what is going on here? What's happening in this situation? Where is God at work, and what should we do about it? Like, what's happening here? And you'll go around in circles, and then somebody who has this gift will say, you know, I reckon this is what's going on. This is what God is doing. And I think we should do that. And all of a sudden, everyone just goes, yes. That's exactly it. It's been revealed to us. You've just given us insight into how God is working. That's the message of wisdom. Insight into what God is doing. So if, if you keep finding yourself saying, you know what? I just feel like I know what God is up to. And I'm able to help us understand what we should do next. That's the message of wisdom. That's the message of wisdom. All right. If you think you have that gift... You don't have to be 100% sure. No one's going to you know, write your name down and put you on a list or anything like that. This is just so we can learn from each other and grow. If you think you've got that list, just wake your hand up in the air. Say, yeah, I think God's given me that gift. I'm sure some of you do. Come on, be brave. If you're on church council, you probably have this gift because other people have identified that. Right, have a look around. This is, you can dob people in too. Yeah, yeah, dob people in. That, that's important as well. Yeah, just don't elbow too hard in the ribs, okay? So if you saw a hand go up, you now know who you can go and learn from uh, with the message of wisdom. Next one we see is a message of knowledge. Again, in the same verse. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. A message of knowledge. So a message of knowledge is when God gives an individual information about a situation or a person. It's a God-given revelation. It's, it's more than just kind of wisdom of what we should do. It's specific information about something that's hidden. It's information about um, a particular person, about their sin or some encouragement for them. It's, it's when you have that sense that I'm supposed to give, tell someone this information. God's given me a message for you. It's a bit like, you know, you're... 
you're the answering machine for, for God. God says, um, hello, um, yep, can I take a message? I'll write that down, you know. And then you pass that message on. So this is one of the gifts that I actually have. And the way it works for me is I'll be praying or I'll be worshipping or I'll be thinking about somebody. I'll be driving my car or mowing my lawn or daydreaming or something. And somebody will come to mind, a particular person. And I'll just have this, this burden or this um, leading or this impression for that person. And it's quite unsettling. Like they're on my heart. And then I'll start to pray into that. Lord, what are you saying here? What do you want me to say? What are you doing? What kind of, what's, what's the message? You know? And after a while, I'll get this sense of some content that I'm supposed to share with that person, a message. And then what I do is I think, I think this is from God. I'll start to try and refine that. So I might write it down. Lord, I think you want me to say to you know, Pastor Dave, da 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 and I'll write it down. And I say, oh, that's not quite right. It's not that word. It's more sort of this word. And over sometimes um, in a few hours, sometimes a few days, I'll have this growing sense of clarity that I have to tell this person this information. Give me an example. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was um, walking through my kitchen. You know, it was a Sunday afternoon, I think, and I don't think I was uh, preaching anywhere that particular day. And I literally like stopped in my tracks and I felt the Holy Spirit Again, the language. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you need to go and encourage this person, another pastor friend. So I, like, I literally stopped. I got out my phone and I typed a text message to him. And this is a message that I wrote. And I felt so strongly about it. And I've got it written down. Hey, mate, I just felt led to encourage you and remind you today that you are doing a great work. You are a gifted leader and teacher, a man of integrity. Be encouraged, Westy. What I didn't know I had to do that straight away. I just felt God saying, do it now, do it now. Sit down and write it out, push send. What I didn't know is that that Sunday afternoon, that pastor was sitting in the front row 45 minutes before church was due to start. After the lowest attendance on record that Sunday morning. He'd been at the church for three years. He was sitting there praying, Lord, what are you doing? Am I even cut out for this? Like, should I even be a leader? Am I even gifted at preaching, and he was there agonizing in pain, just totally defeated and deflated and discouraged, like he's just wilting sitting in the front row. But he's praying with his eyes open and his phone in his hand. You know, he's probably just been scrolling or something, right? He's just praying like this, just discouraged and defeated. And all of a sudden, as he's praying, Lord, should I even be doing this anymore? Is now the time to throw in the towel? Hey, mate, just want to let you know. I want to encourage you and remind you you're doing a great work. You're a gifted leader and a teacher and a man of integrity. Be encouraged. Like God just got my attention and said, Oi, 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 write this down, pass this on to, to, to this guy. How cool is that? That's a message of knowledge. Information, specific information to be passed on from one believer to another. Sometimes for encouragement. Sometimes for rebuke. There's a famous story where C.H. Spurgeon was preaching and all of a sudden he called out this young man in the church and said, young man, those gloves you are wearing have not been paid for. You have stolen them from your employer, like fully busted in church by the preacher. So I learned my lesson. I don't wear gloves to church. <laughs> but like instant information. There's no way he could have known that. 
unless the Holy Spirit revealed that knowledge, that information, and he was brave enough to respond, even in real time, even in front of people, to call out that person. A message of knowledge. People use phrases like an inference, a leading, a prompting, a burden, an impression, a picture. It's not word for word. It's kind of just that, you know, pass on the vibe of the message, you know. Okay, who thinks they might have that gift? Gift of knowledge, message of knowledge. Is it a spoken gift? Hands up nice and high. Okay, great. If you think you might have that gift, maybe you've felt led by the Spirit, but you haven't acted on that. You've never sent the message. You've never rung the person and said, this is going to sound weird, but I think the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you X, Y, Z. As you do that afterwards, I always say, if that's from God, I think it is, but if that is from God, the Holy Spirit in you will resonate with that message. If it's just me and I'm just, you know, away with the fairies, it'll fade away. If it's just me, it'll fade away. If it's from God, it'll become more and more and more true and clear for you. A message of knowledge. Wisdom is about understanding what God is doing, where he's at work, what we should do next. Knowledge is information to be passed on to other people to build them up and encourage them. Number three, faith. This is the very next thing mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 9. To another, faith by the same spirit. Faith. Now, faith here, if faith is a spiritual gift that not everybody has, it can't just mean general faith, like trusting God, believing in God, right? Because all, all of us have that if we're, you know, all of us have faith. It can't mean saving faith, like I believe in Jesus, I put my trust in him, I become a Christian, you know, born again, all of that, justified made righteous, adopted into God's family, received the Holy Spirit. It can't mean saving faith that takes you from darkness to light, and it can't just mean generally trusting and believing God, because it's a gift that only some have. So faith here, as a spiritual gift, faith is the, um, it's, it's the ability God gives certain believers that find it easy to trust him, that have an unusually high amount of faith, and they say things like, I can't explain it, I just believe it. I know it makes no sense, but I just have this unwavering confidence that God will do it. My wife has this gift. I think I said this last week, and there'll be a situation where we'll be praying about it, and she'll say, God's going to do this. And I'll say, but how do you know that? How can you be so confident about that? That doesn't make any sense. Like, I want to believe that. I think that's a good idea. She says, I don't know, I can't explain it, I just believe it. God's given me the gift of faith so I can encourage other people to trust in God. How cool is that? Isn't that powerful? The gift of faith. If you've got that gift, you've got to use it. You've got to speak up. You've got to stand up and say, I, don't, I can't explain it, I don't understand it, but I just believe in the core of my being, I have this unwavering confidence that God is going to do it that it's going to become a reality. I'm not just trying to give a motivational speech. I'm not just an optimist. I actually believe the Holy Spirit has given me this conviction, this clarity, this unwavering belief that God will do it. Maybe Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith, is a description of people who had that gift and the Holy Spirit gave them an unusually high amount of faith to trust Him. When I was at Cleveland, our treasurer, uh, had the gift of faith. 
And she's like, on one hand, I'm looking at the money, but on the other hand, I just think God's going to do it. It was so cool. You don't normally have the, the, you know, the finance, the conservative finance people also be the same people that have an unwavering confidence that God's going to provide. Gift of faith. Who, who here thinks they have that gift? They find it easy to believe God. God's used them to encourage other people. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. We need you guys to speak up. We need you to inspire us and encourage us and remind us that God is good and that he's trustworthy and that he plans to do immeasurably more than we can even imagine. Pretty uncontroversial so far. How about we get into miracles? Let's talk about healing. Number four is the gifts of healing. We see this again in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 12. To another, uh, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. In fact, it's gifts of healings, plural, plural. And what that means is that each gift, so each healing is a gift in and of itself. I picture this one like, um, you know Christmas morning where someone's got to be Santa and hand out the presents, right? It's either usually the oldest person at the kind of um, around the Christmas tree on Christmas morning, or it's the youngest person that's the funniest, one of those two, generally speaking. But that person, they pick up the box and they say, oh, this is a gift. Oh, this is a gift for Ash. Oh, here you go, Ash. Uh, this gift is from, it's from uh, mum and dad. There you go. There's a gift from mum and dad to you, Ash. And mum and dad wave in the corner, you know. That, that's like gifts of healing, where the person who receives the gift is the person that gets healed. What have we got in this box? Oh, it's new eyes, because those, that person's eyes don't work. They're blind. We're going to heal them. Here's a gift of eyes. Enjoy that, the gift of sight. It's a great gift. You're going to love it. So the person who receives the gift is not the person who hands the present on, they're just the vehicle. They're just the recipient, right? Like they're just the conveyor, the delivery guy. But the person who receives the gift of healing is the person who's healed. Because they open the box and they'd be like, oh my goodness, my back doesn't hurt. My eyes are opened. My cancer's gone. My legs are the same length. I don't have that pain anymore. My, my migraines have gone. My, that lump's removed. It's disappeared from the scan. Does that make sense? So each healing is itself a gift. They're discrete gifts given by God through somebody to somebody else. Healing is not a possessive gift. Like you can't say, oh, I've got the gift of healing. Great. What are you doing here? Go to the hospital. Go to the emergency department. Healed, 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 healed. Go to oncology. No cancer, no cancer, no cancer, no cancer. Go to the children's hospital. Like if you've got the gift of healing, if you can heal on demand... What are you doing here? Go to the hospital. But each healing is a gift. God might use you never. He might never give you the gift to pass on to somebody else. He might use you a thousand times. I've got one friend, Andy, who 15 years ago on a mission trip, God used him to miraculously heal somebody. I think it was like blind and they could see, like miraculous. And he said, that's never happened to me again. But I'm so grateful that God used me that one time to pass on that miraculous gift. We believe that the Holy Spirit is still active in this world, that he still indwells us, that he still has a heart of compassion to restore the broken, to repair the disfigured, to unshrivel the shriveled. 
the Holy Spirit still has plans to do that. Healings still happen in our days, in our age. God might use you once, he might never use you. But sometimes he does. And when he does, it's a beautiful gift that blesses those who receive it. Each healing is a gift. I should say too that the apostles seemed to be able to heal at will. You know, like the Paul and Peter, James and John, certainly Jesus. You know, there was this real sense that they, they were not limited in the same way that we were, that, we had a, that they had an unusual or special dispensation of the Spirit as apostolic leaders, the first followers of Jesus. That seems to be how the Bible reads, but that's certainly not how it reads in, in later books. It talks about things like in James 5, where it says, um, you know, if anyone's sick, they should go to the elders and pray for healing. Pray that God would pass on that gift of healing doesn't say go to the elders and be healed it says ask the elders to pray for you because it seems to be that each healing itself is a gift okay who's who's experienced uh, a, a miraculous gift of healing either you've been healed someone's prayed for you or you prayed yourself and the holy spirit's power has been at work in your body or maybe it's freed you from a psychological trauma but you've had some supernatural healing event either happened to you or You've been part of it. You prayed for somebody and they got better. Anyone experienced that? That's cool. That's most hands so far, hey? Isn't that exciting? That's so good. So good. So I want to encourage you to keep praying. If you've never experienced that before, don't think, well, God could never use me. I shouldn't pray that somebody would be healed. No, he might want to use you. He might, you might be Santa that day that hands out the presents uh, like it's Christmas morning. All right, we're going okay. Let's uh, maybe do number five, miraculous powers. Miraculous powers. So this is broader than just healing, which is healing the body. Miraculous powers. And again, we see this in a couple of different places. Uh, verse 10 of chapter 12. To another, miraculous powers. And then again, further on in verse 28, it says... Um, God has placed in the church first apostles, then prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing. So miracles is listed as a spiritual gift. Miracle is a supernatural intervention by God into a situation. It can take a number of different forms. It could be an um, exorcism. It could be a healing. It could be raising the dead. It could be the provision of resources, you know, water into wine. It could be the miraculous change in circumstances. You know, you're praying for something and the circumstances change. We hear stories all the time from missionaries who are, you know, smuggling Bibles and things into parts of the world that are closed. And they, they pray that, like, the situation would change. That the one guard who always checks under the, you know, under the boot would be not on duty that day. And as the car pulls up, you heard these kinds of stories? As the car pulls up, they change the shift and the guy who was going to check everything finishes and the guy who's lax and takes bribes, he comes on duty and it's a miraculous change of circumstances. It's God's intervention into time and space. Um, so how important are miracles? Well, I think it kind of depends on the culture. Because in a culture where there's a lot of um, overt occult practices, you know, parts of um, Southeast Asia and Africa and in parts of South America, certainly through the Caribbean, there's a sense in which um, there's a lot of 
demonic activity, a lot of occult practices, a lot of works of power, a lot of magic happens. So in that context, a miracle is showing that God is greater. And certainly we see in Egypt, the Egyptian um, magicians counterfeited a lot of the miracles that Moses performed. They turned, water in, you know, they turned the water into blood. They had the, the snakes. They did the whole bit. They counterfeited it, but God's power is greater. And a miracle demonstrates that God's power is greater, that God is real. And the reason why miracles, I think, are a part of the New Testament is because a miracle authenticates the gospel. It says, yeah, this Jesus, he's the real deal. This Jesus has power. This Jesus is active. This Jesus is greater. It glorifies God and it authenticates the message of the scripture, message of the gospel. Now, I think miracles is one area where we can get preoccupied with it. We can become miracle chasers, like storm chasers, you know, always looking for the signs, always, you know, looking for what's happening next and, uh, you know, chasing after certain expressions like gold dust and, um, you know, all sorts of other interesting things. I don't think that's helpful because miracles are not about us getting a fix of something exciting. It's about God at work to build up the church to authenticate the gospel message and to bless people. So I guess I want to warn you, don't get preoccupied or caught up with chasing miracles. Miracles are great, but at the end of the day, they don't really lead to long-lasting fruit. The book of Acts shows us that when the miracles dried up, so did the believers. So did, so did the crowds, the followers, the hangers-on. Church history shows us that when the miracles dry up, there's not a lot left behind that um, witnessing or participating in the miraculous does not lead to maturity. Do you believe that? What leads to maturity is being led by the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, applying the Word of God to your life, repenting of your sin, being discipled well. You know, that's what leads to maturity. So we've got to be careful why we don't see, um, we've got to be careful chasing after miracles. But also, we've got to ask the question, why don't we see more miracles you know, if God's Spirit's at work in the world, why don't we see more here? And I think from Scripture we can kind of see three big reasons. Lack of expectation. We don't expect God to work, so we're not surprised when he doesn't. Lack of faith. Certainly we read uh, in Jesus' ministry where he, he goes to a town to perform miracles and he can't do much there because of the lack of faith of the people. He hasn't lost his power, but their openness to his power is just missing in action. So he can't do much there. Lack of faith can be a barrier to the Holy Spirit working. And sometimes it's a lack of, lack of practice, lack of experience. We, we never ask God to do the miraculous. We never anticipate it. We, we, we never pour the water out expecting it to be wine. So it never happens because we're out of practice. And we need to be open to and led by the Holy Spirit to pray for more, to step out in faith. And as I think we do that, as we're bold and we keep trying, we think God's going to work. All right, can we squeeze in one more? No. Next week. <laughs> um, what we might do is we might just uh, close it there. Uh, next week we're going to finish the list. We'll gather some speed as we go. But again, I just want to encourage you to be open to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. Not, not to be infatuated with spiritual gifts, but to be open that the, that the Holy Spirit would, would lead you 
and would use you. I've been really encouraged by hands going up today, by last week people stepping out saying, I want to learn more, I want to grow, I want to be more open to the Spirit of God. So let's just keep praying into that. You can get a booklet uh, at the back. You can download it online. There's a link uh, in here on the back page for the uh, shape test you can do in your small groups. You might want to talk about it. You might want to get other people to do your spiritual gift too. But what I really ask you to do, um, just as a team comes back up, what I really ask you to do is just to pray. To pray like we sung before, I surrender. Have your way in me. To actually open ourselves up to the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives, both for our joy and for the good of those around us. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are at work in the church today, that we do have your timeless word, but we also have your Holy Spirit's activity, the word and the spirit together, the gospel proclamation, the gospel demonstration. I thank you, Lord, that this is a group of people who know you, Lord, who love you, who are open to your Holy Spirit's leading. And God, I pray that as they seek you, as they respond to your voice, as they enjoy your presence, as they step out in faith and obedience and courage, as they learn from one another and spur each other on, Lord, that there'd be great works done in this church. Great works done to one another, great works done to those in the community, Lord, as we use our gifts. And I pray that your beautiful bride, the church, would be built up through it all and that you, Jesus, would be glorified. Lord, make us expectant about what you're going to do in and through us, we pray. Amen.